You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. On October 11th, 2014, George Snayman spoke at Abundant Life Church in Hibbing, Minnesota. He spoke about justice, truth, and love. We've reposted this recording thanks to Abundant Life Church. We are many, many different cultures coming together. We live in community. We are passionate about Christ, and we are deeply challenged to, in a time like this, to reach out to those who've got totally no hope and to say, um, we're going to reach out to them. The whole movement started at the height of the AIDS pandemic when tens and thousands of young people died every day in shame and in stigmatization. And they left behind just a huge wave of orphans who lived in shame and with no hope to this day. This month, there will be 180,000 new orphans in Africa. So we are just a small group of very ordinary people, diverse skills and diverse cultures, who drew a line in the sand and who said, as followers of Christ, we cannot turn our backs on this pain. It goes in the face of the message we received. To put it simply, I can quote Job 5.16 in my own words, it is time to live it so that the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. I want to tell you as an introduction, friends, if you don't get a righteous anger in your spirit when you see something in justice, the heart of God is not in you. I become so angry when I see injustice in this world. I get so angry when there's injustice in a generation where God said, I hate injustice. I am a God who loves righteousness and justice. That's the gospel of Christ. Righteousness is our relationship with God. Justice is our relationship with our neighbor. And together it makes the cross. And if you take one of them away, you must represent your father. There is not a thing like, but they love justice, we are called to evangelize. You cannot evangelize without a heart of justice. You cannot. It's not just misrepresenting our God. It is disgracing him in that sense. Because he's saying, I care. I care about people. Like I care about you. We need to understand our God's heart. In Psalm 68 verse 5 it says, The father or the fatherless, David, the man of God's own heart, said, I'll summarize God to you in one sentence. He's the father or the fatherless. He's the husband or the champion or the widow. That is God on his holy habitation. Say the man of God's own heart. In another psalm, I think in 89, 15, it said, God's throne is established. Wow, that's big words, guys. God's throne is established 
unrighteousness and justice. So we know we've got a righteousness and justice God. But tonight, I want to speak to you about missions. And I want to make a suggestion that the foundation of missions is love. It's love. You know, the church is all about God. And God is all about loving people. We see Christ's love for the church that he laid his life down. He loved us, you and me, he loved us enough that he left his perfect and happy community. Do you know that God didn't create us because he was lonely or sad? You know that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had a perfect community. But that community saw you and me in a hole. And they said, we've got to do something. Because that's the very nature of the Trinity God. And Jesus said, I will go and jump in that hole. I will go knowing, knowing that the very one who held the stars in his hand, you know Hebrews say he created the universe? You know that he held the stars in his hand? And he went like this. <laughs> Imagine. Then he said, that's your name, that's your name. That's your. And he said, Dad, do you think they will love it? That's you. I was, I was lying in a hut in Mozambique recently. I slept with a widow and three orphans. I had no roof, nothing. And I was lying on the stones, staring up in the heavens. This incredible display. You guys don't know the stars. You've got too much electricity. I'm telling you. Your comfort is robbing you from the kingdom of God in many ways. You come to Africa, the stars are in your face. You go to the villages, the whole universe, you feel like you get swallowed up in it. And I look at that and I'm thinking, my older brother, he went like this. I said, but you know what he also did? He saw you, man. And he saw that you couldn't make it. You were in bad shape. And he said, I'll go. I'll go. The father said, but you go and you show them who I am. You show them who I am as their father. And you know what he did? He, he, man. He took a teenage girl. Unmarried. From an obscure village. He was born in disgrace. He grew up as a young boy. Everybody know he was an illegitimate child. His mother was pregnant as a teenager. As if that wasn't enough, she publicly confessed that her fiancé wasn't even the father. 
Hello? You ever thought about that? That's your, that's your Savior. He was born in straw and dung. I tell you what, the people didn't want them in, in uh, Bethlehem because they saw unmarried teenage girl pregnant. That's my belief. They gave her one look and said, we are full. No place for you. Yes. He became so vulnerable. This one, this one, whoo, became so vulnerable that he had to go through a birth channel. He had to drink from his mother's breast or he would have died of hunger. That's how vulnerable he became. Let the weak say, I am strong. It's not cheap words. The one who created the universe had to learn from his dad how to tie his shoes. Gee, guys, we serve a mighty, 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 upside-down, radical, crazy God. You try to tame him, and your life will be such a discontent life. Nobody can tame him. He was born like that because he was screaming a message to us. He was saying to us, guys, Get this picture, get it clear. I love the poor. You want to find me? Go to the wrong way of the railway line. You'll catch me there. You know, Jesus decides was a refugee in Africa. Next time you look at refugees on the TV, my friend, your Savior was one of them. of his love for us. He was trying to show us something. He was trying to show to us that he loves justice. And that's why he did it. He went all the way. And he's saying, if you love the way I loved, that sacrificial love will be a hallmark in your life. Nobody will have to tell you to give. Nobody will have to tell you to go. Nobody, because you will say, man, I was in a hole. I was taken out. That's why it's so good for us to go to Africa, you know. When I lie in that hut and I stare through that stars and I listen to Paulina, who's the mother, 29 years old, three kids, I found them in the bushes living in the bushes like animals after her husband died. There I'm lying with them in a hut that was burned down, no roof. And I just find the tears pouring down my face because I think of my children at home. 
And I say, God, why are you so good to me? Why are you so good to me? Why? I don't deserve it. Look, look, look at this family, God. You see, it's in moments like that that you understand a glimpse of grace. It's moments like that where your life comes into perspective. It's in moments like that when you realize you'll do anything to help Paulina and her three children. Because why am I out of the hole? Why am I so abundantly blessed? Is it because I'm smart? Or is it just because of the place where I was born? And the time when I was born? And in the family where I was born? And then when Christ took me there and he washed me, and I understand that, it changed everything. Everything changed. Money changes. Belongings change. It becomes insignificant and small. I stood in an island called Courageous outside Senegal, Dakar, East Africa. I stood on an island. And they took me through a passage. And I came to a door. And the door opened up. And I walked and I went, whoa, because just outside this door was a cliff of hundreds of feet down and a roaring ocean. And they told me that was the door of no return. And I turned around and I went back and there were two dungeons, pitch dark inside, pitch dark. And they said, the colonial days, the men will come on horses and they will hit the villagers when the sun comes up. And they hit the villagers completely unexpected. Two hours later, the men were chained, the women were tied and the children were whipped as they chased them towards this village. And they will take their families into that island and they will take all the men and they'll throw them into one dungeon. And they will lock them up. And all the women and children will be thrown into another dungeon. And be locked up for three months. And then they will take them. The boats will come. And they will anchor there at the door of no return. And I'm standing there. And I'm trying to visualize it. I'm trying to see my own family and that. And they had an official policy that the men and the women will always go to different continents. That morning, when they raided that village, was the last time the fathers and the mothers and the children were together. Systematically, they were separated and sent to different continents to be slaves. And they will go down that aisle and the door will open. And that's why it's called the door of no return. Because once you step through there on the boat, it's over.
That's what injustice does to our world. You know, that happened in the name of Christ. Do you know that? It took centuries for Christians to stand against that. Why am I telling you that? Because today there are 180,000 orphans a month growing up with no understanding that there can be a God of hope, not knowing what it means to have a dad. Grandmothers with 15 orphans living alone in huts, no social structure, no police, no nothing. I stayed in a village three weeks ago in Zambia. And I sat around a fire with a grandmother and three orphans. And as it got dark, I realized they had nothing to eat. Nothing. And it was dark. No electricity, no water, no food. As an adult man, I sat there and I could feel how my throat choked up. That night as I slept with those orphans on the uneven ground with stones and we had two paper-thin blankets to cover four of us. Right at my head, at, the, at my head there was a hole where I could put my leg through. Feel that freezing wind blowing over me and this boy just tucking right in under my arm. Justice is truth in action, driven by love. We need another generation to bring hope to this orphan generation we have right now. People say to me, George, there are better ways for me to use my money and my time than go to Africa. I've got a bright future. I've got many other ways to develop it and use my time and my money. Friends, sacrificial love has got nothing to do with those who deserve it. You've got to get it with me. God didn't love us because we deserved it. He loved us because we did not deserve it. He chose to love us in spite of the fact that we did not deserve to be loved. That is called grace. That's the grace of God. Have you thought about that? Every time you hear and we hear it so often, God loves you. Do you think you are lovable? Well, maybe you are. Let me not. I know. When God invited me into his community, he invited trouble. I'm serious. I'm bad news in many ways. God didn't choose the best. He didn't invite those who made it. He didn't choose those, love those who deserved it. It was exactly the opposite. 
John 3.16 say. Just receive this. For God so loved the world. Because that's who your dad is. When teams come to Africa, they bring love to the most vulnerable. Their feet become beautiful feet. They display sacrificial life. They release a fragrance of worship unto the living God as they walk in the dusty roads of Africa and they choose that time where they could have maybe made money or they could have uh, promoted the career or whatever. They chose to say, no, I know I could have done this, but I choose to do this and I know your name. I know your name. A nuclear scientist from Chicago, <laughs> came to Africa last year for the first time. He, I tried my best to tell him he's not going to come and build something and take photos and everything, but he still came to do that. And he ended up in Swaziland, in a village. And he just wanted to fix everything and work, work, work. You know how you guys do it, right? Yes. But there he was, and he was trying to fix a, a, a pipe of water. And as he stood there by his own his story, a young boy came and he stood next to him. And the boy said to him, Will you be my dad while you're here? This guy speak, and he tells me the story in Chicago, and the tears pour down his face, and his wife said, "This man has changed completely. He's a new creation." And he stands there and he talks to me and he said, "George, I went to Africa to fix things, but God took me there to meet my son. I've got a son." You see, you see, the boy didn't need that guy as much as that guy needed the boy. You, you need Africa. You need the orphans of this world. I need them. They change our lives. They bring life. The world laughs with an object-orientated love. The world looks at something and they desire it. And they say, I love that. God's love is different. God doesn't ex expect the object to be desirable. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I mean, <laughs> that gives me hope. That's my salvation. That's what I cling on. And because of that, friends, we are compelled to go. Not because God said in the Great Commission, go. Not because we're trying to be in fashion. 
Not because of whatever, but because our hearts are overflowing. It's like a fountain of love pouring out. We, we, we cannot imagine anything better than to sow our lives. Just the little bit that we have to sow. We, we, we've got so little compared with the infinite love of our God. But we can have this life. We can have this life. All of us, teachers, social workers, pastors, all of us, we can become missional. Because it just means to be like our dad. That's all it means. I was in Nigeria and Lagos, in a slum, where the poorest people live in water. If you fall in that water, you're dead. It's so polluted. Their houses is about from here to the pulpit and about this wide. Then it's a mother and four or five children living in the water, walking on a plank this wide, maybe from here to the car park to get there. You should have seen me on that thing the first time. The whole village was screaming, and this white guy, and I was... I was praying and in languages I never knew I could pray. <laughs> Just not to fall in the water. But I walked in that slum area and we were walking in a road and I saw old women sitting. Now, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there, there are 18 million people in Lagos and it's a very small place. People are in your face, hundreds and thousands all the time. And I'm walking in this road, and I see this old woman just totally worn down, sitting in a gutter. I mean, it's full of its raw sewage. She sits there on a, st- on a rock. And, and the moment I walked past, my eyes just saw a glimpse of her, and I walked, and my heart stopped. And said, you will not go further. And I turned around and I went and I sat next to her. And suddenly I just see feet going past people, 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 people. And here's this broken woman. In that, I don't know how it works in, in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, it's never um, cooler than 36 degrees Celsius in Lagos. It's very hot there. And there sits this woman in a heat. And behind this a corrugated shack. She held a baby screaming, baby 11 months, screaming. Yes, it's this old woman in the filth. And God's spirit just takes me there. I sit next to her. I said to her, tell me your story. Friends, if the love of Christ live in us, we'll ask people, tell me your story. She said to me, all my children died. And I'm left with this one granddaughter. And I looked at that child and I knew she was going to die. I've seen too many people die. I knew she had no hope. And I'm, I'm thinking, what do we do? What, how does my faith fit into something like that? What do you do? And I noticed a girl that was about nine, ten years old. And she carried water and she brought it to grandmother. I said to the grandmother, who's this girl? And she said, her neighbor saw her suffering. And she went to her rural village, 400 kilometers away. And she found a daughter. She gave the parents a bag of maize. And she took their daughter. And she brought her to the city. 
And there's his daughter, about 10 years old, looking after his grandmother and his dying child in a place where you don't want to go. You know, friends, I looked at this baby. I knew this child was going to die. I looked at this grandmother. I thought, man, she, life has beaten her up. It's over for her. But I look at that girl of nine or ten, and I thought, what's going to happen to her? She's at the door of no return. What's going to happen? Are we going to allow another generation? Are we going to allow this to happen again on our watch? How can that girl ever believe that there can be a God of love? Unless you and I are so infiltrated with the the love and the grace of our Father that we use our feet and we dare to go to places, we dare to do things, we dare to stretch ourselves in our efforts to pray, We we dare to do something, not because we're trying to achieve works, but because we're overflowing with gratefulness and love. That when we see that grandmother, we can't walk further. It cost me $50 a year to get that child into a school and to provide her with another life, another life, another family. You know, I've got many girls like that now in Africa that I know. And every time I go to these countries, I meet them and then I take them out on a date. I take them out to go and eat chicken or something around the corner. And then I sit with them and I look in their eyes. And I say to them, tell me about your life. An abundant life is shining out of their eyes. Because they know there's a God who knew their name, even in a bigger slum in the world, even in a place where there's 18 million people, God sent one missionary in one time, and I walked, and among everybody, my eye fell on that woman. And God said, today I will bring redemption. That's your call. That's my call. That's what we are here to do. Our dad say, Bring them home. You hear that? Bring them home. I'm lonely without them. I love it when I meet with you together. I love it. But don't for one moment think I'm happy. Because there are some out there and I want them home. That's missions. And that can only be achieved through love. And that love can only happen through relationships. You don't have to have a doctor's degree or or millions of dollars. You can just do it. Let me just close with this. I was working, building a school in Zambia. 
And I noticed this boy standing under a tree watching me. But you know what? The rain was coming and we had to fix the building. You know how we are project orientated. Lunchtime, I sat down. Only 10 minutes I had to eat. Guess who came to sit next to me? It must have taken all the courage that this boy had to come and sit next to this ugly white guy. But he managed and he came and sat next to me. It is just like God said to me, how long is it going to take you before you get this message? <laughs> but God, the bill. God, I've got to take a photo of it. My church must see the school. God just rolls his eyes, right? So eventually I said to the boy, what's your name? And he looked at me and he said, (laughs) man, I'll never forget his face. He said, I'm Calvin Banda. (laughs) I said, well, Calvin Banda, nice to meet you. And we started talking and he told me how his dad died and he shared his life with me. This kid was so desperate for love. He was so desperate that when he saw me that day, he said, I'm going to overcome every fear I have. I'm going to do whatever it takes, but I need a man to love me. Friends, if we don't do it, you know who will do it. I spent the rest of that week with Calvin as I was in school. And as I left, I thought, what can I do? What can I leave with Calvin? I had nothing. And Calvin came to say goodbye to me, and I took my watch off. And I put my watch on his hand, on his wrist. And I said to him, Calvin, I want you to remember, every time that you look at your watch for time, that there's a man that knows your name and who loves you. And I'm coming back. You know, I went back many times. Calvin was flying through classes. He got first every year. Calvin had a purpose in life. Calvin said to me, I want to be a medical doctor. I said to him, why a doctor? No, don't don't do that. Why? He said to me, because I want to change people's lives. This man, I was a little boy, I had no love. And you, you came into my life and you changed everything. I want to change people's lives. See, that's missions. You don't need to have anything. You can do it. Every one of you can do it. We are prisoners of hope. And the hope in us is contagious. There's a world out there with no hope freaking dying away on our watch and it's not good enough we can reach out we can have beautiful feet we can bring hope and we can see chains and our father can say bring them home abundant life bring them home let's pray Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. I pray that every seed that you've sown in our hearts today will fall on fertile ground. 
it will not be robbed. I pray in this audience, Lord, if there's anybody here that don't know that father I spoke about, that they will not walk out of this building before they meet that father. If there's anybody like that here, please come and speak to me. Please come. You might even think you knew God and today you realize you don't. Don't waste. Come. Those of you that are wondering, you don't know how to love God, you feel pressure, how to work, what must I do? Remember, it's about him jumping into the hole to take you out. He's taken you out of the hole. You are free. You are free. You are loved. You know, he knows your name. I know Calvin's name. Your father knows your name. And those of you that maybe today your heart is beating in your throat because you know for long God has set you apart. For something specific. God has set all of us apart. But sometimes he takes us out of our environment to do something. We heard today, dream big. Friends, I I had nothing. If you hear my story, I was nothing. I was rubbish. I really was. I really, really was. If God spares my life, I'm going to reach a hundred thousand children. Not just a hundred thousand children, but a hundred thousand children that have got no hope in this world, who today cannot believe there's somebody that will care to know their name. I'm going to do it. You watch. I'm going to do it. What about you? Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org